now. Get growing with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 and KSTE.com. Here is Fred Hoffman. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Get Growing on Talk 650 KSTE. Farmer Fred here. Fred Hoffman, UC Cooperative Extension Lifetime Master Gardener, Garden Columnist with the Lodi News Sentinel, the guy that does all the typing at FarmerFred.com, all the ranting at the Farmer Fred Ramp blog page at Twitter.com slash FarmerFred. Lots of garden tips, lots of snark, too. And, of course, the Get Growing with Farmer Fred Facebook page where there is always a garden dialogue going on where you can see a post of the latest AAS winners, the All-America Selections winners for 2018. In fact, later on in the show, we're going to talk to Diane Blazek, who is uh, with the AAS, and she'll be very rhapsodic about uh, the latest winners of vegetables and uh, annuals and perennials for 2018. Also in the studio later on today, Don Shore from Redwood Barn Nursery will drop by and we're going to talk about some of our favorite plants to be putting in this time of year. But right now, I want to tell you about an event that's coming up. In fact, it started already. We're talking with John Valenzuela. He's with Cornucopia Food Forest Gardens over in the Bay Area. He's also with the California Rare Fruit Growers Association. He is their Scion Exchange Coordinator. And there is a Scion Exchange going on in Sacramento today from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. at the La Sierra Community Center at 5325 Engel Road in Carmichael. What is a Scion Exchange? Well, let's find out. John, good to talk with you. Good morning, Farmer Fred. John, what exactly, for people who don't know, goes on at a Scion Exchange? Well, a Scion is a is a kind of an old school name for a little piece of a fruit tree that's the most recent growth from last year. And we collect them when they're dormant with no leaves on them. And these are our little propagation pieces that we use to grow more trees. So a Scion is basically a tip cutting of a tree used for propagation. Um, we can grow them by cutting some trees, but many of our trees won't root well on their own, so we have to do grafting. So a scion is specifically used for grafting or budding a new fruit tree. So, for example, if a person, say, has a babcock peach in their backyard, but they want to uh, maybe get another peach tree and they don't have the room, well, they could take a scion, a cutting from a different variety of peach or nectarine, and graft it onto that existing tree that could extend the harvest, for example, with a different variety or a variety with a different taste. And a lot of people are doing this. The various reasons why we would graft include extending the harvest uh, so you can have a early, middle, and late seasons. Um, also, not so much on a peach and nectarine because they're fairly self-fertile, but on many other fruits, they need cross-pollination. They're self-infertile, so you need two different varieties near each other to pollinize each other. And so that's where a multiple grafted tree would come in handy, too, if you don't have a lot of space and you want to uh, do it all in one spot. You know, it, it seems like an odd thing, but nowadays you can even um, buy trees that are multiple graft uh, trees. Um, I know Dave Wilson's producing those in some of the other big nurseries even. Exactly. And uh, it, it's not that hard to do the grafting to have a multi-budded fruit tree. And I would believe that at the uh, Scion Exchange going on today at the La Sierra Community Center, there will be demonstrations on exactly how to do it. Absolutely. We're going to have a whole bunch of things going on there. The main event will be the big room full of hundreds of varieties. I mean, there is no place you can go that has 
this selection of varieties in any form available for, you know, just price of admission, which I think is just five bucks or something. You What will you do with them is the question. Like I said, some you can easily root, like figs, grapes, pomegranates, and even olives are fairly easy to root by a cutting. But all the other ones will have demonstrations there. There'll be some master gardeners there and uh, CRFG folks doing uh, grafting demonstrations. It takes a little bit of whittling, I call it, you know, a little whittling and uh, matching up the cambium and the bark, the inner bark, and then we wrap it up to heal. And you, you have to take care of it. We'll have some, I believe there'll be some uh, rootstock available, um, typically, and we can uh, make sure that your scion selections find a home either on your trees at home or on some kind of a rootstock. That's usually the decision you have to make. Either you have an existing tree you want to add on to, or you want to make a whole new tree um, and you want to figure out, you know, where your new science can have a new home. Yeah, to give people an idea of what they will see when they walk into this room, there will be tables and tables loaded with pencil-sized sticks, all mm-hmm. all labeled, all in bags. And basically, you bring a bag, you bring a marking pen, and maybe a label, and then you can maybe grab one or two uh, scions of those varieties that you uh, think you may want to try and uh, put it in your bag and label it so you don't get mixed up and uh Go home and do some grafting or budding. Indeed, the labeling becomes very critical when you start gathering up, uh, you know, half a dozen varieties. Uh, you, those sticks all look the same. And, you know, each of these bud sticks or scions have several buds on them. And each bud has the potential to become a whole new tree. It's quite amazing. At the base of every leaf stem or petiole, there's a little dormant bud there. And on the newest growth, it's quite ready to sprout out and grow into a new tree. So each bud stick has anywhere from six to ten buds on it. And you only need one or two or three buds per graft. So each one of those bud sticks, you could graft two or three or four trees with. So you don't need big handfuls of stuff. It's very um, efficient in that sense of being able to make new plants out of very little material. And um, we'll advise you on the compatibility, which is important. Not not everything can be grafted onto everything else. Uh, We will not have any citrus there because of um, a lot of the restrictions on the the citrus movement in the Bay Area, um, well, all over California because of the Asian citrus psyllid. So we will not have any uh, citrus budwood. But of all the other plants, um, we will help you understand which rootstocks go with which scions apples on apples cherries on cherries plums you have a little more flexibility plums and apricots and certainly peaches as a rootstock is very versatile a peach tree for example can take the uh the fuzzless peaches we call nectarines um almonds uh plums both of the asian type that uh flower early and fruit earlier they're very juicy the asian um uh, plums and also the European plums, which flower a little later and are more firm, like our prune plums. Those are all compatible with peach. Um, so we'll help you uh, understand which are compatible on which rootstock. Yeah, for people who may be a little confused, you mentioned almonds, but almonds belongs to the genus Prunus, which is the same genus as peaches. Indeed, you know there is a the stone fruit refers to um, the hard pitted seeds in these uh, plums and apricots and all these things um, compared to poems like apples and pears that have several soft seeds 
Um, but the stone fruits all have a little bit of that uh, cyanide in the seed that makes them bitter. But that's a bitter flavor we love, as in uh, bitter almonds. So um, the there are some of the white-fleshed apricots that have actually a sweet pit that you can eat like an almond, and we will likely have some of those varieties at the Sign Exchange. Let's wrap this up. It's the California Rare Fruit Growers Sign Exchange. The Sacramento area chapter is going on today, 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. at the La Sierra Community Center, 5325 Engel Road in Carmichael. Engel, that portion of Engel is between Walnut and Garfield. $5 to get in. And of course, like I said, uh, bring a bag of some type to carry your sticks home and a marker and a tape to label them. And um, meet people like John Valenzuela and uh, other people who will be there that will be demonstrating and guiding you in the art of uh, budding and grafting and planting these varieties. Marlene Simon, the plant lady from UC Davis, will be speaking at 1 o'clock about strange and rare edibles as well. John, let's talk a little bit about Cornucopia Food Forest Gardens. That's uh, your business and more information I would think it would be available at your website. Absolutely. I do. Um, I take care of trees. I do consulting and I, and I help people uh, learn about this kind of stuff through educational events. And my focus is on kind of a whole systems approach, looking at not just the fruit trees, but all the other uh, plants that we can grow with them focusing on soil and water management and looking at the, the abundance of a whole ecosystem. Cornucopiafoodforest.com is John's website. John Valenzuela, California Rare Fruit Growers Association. Thanks for a few minutes of your time today. Check our website, crfg.org, and there may be um, some great information you can find there about our sign exchanges. All over the state, we've had over a dozen in the entire state, but we really look forward to seeing you out there at our exchange today. You're listening to Get Growing on Talk 650 KSTE and KSTE.com. Have you noticed? Get Growing continues with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. Welcome back to the program. Fred here. Joining me from Redwood Barn Nursery in Davis, Don Shore is here. Good morning, Fred. Good morning. Glad you could uh, come on by. We're going to talk about some of our favorite uh, trees or perennials or shrubs or annuals or vegetables or whatever you want to talk about as far as uh, what we should be planting or thinking about planting. January is a good month for planning. Thinking about planting, yes. yes. And then there are things you can plant now, of course. Yeah. If you go to your average garden center, they'll have fruit trees. Well, let's talk about an, a- an average garden center like one in Davis on 5th Street. It's a very small average garden center. Okay. But yes, All right. There's lots of fruit trees. We have roses. There's flowering shrubs, right. flowering trees. If you're looking for a flowering cherry, a flowering plum, flowering quince, those kinds of things, this is probably the most likely time you're going to find them in garden centers. Now, you had mentioned something very odd over on the KFBK Garden Show, mm-hmm. and, and you are definitely an outlier when it comes to this. I always like to be there. Bare root fruit trees, your bare root fruit trees are actually bare root. They yes. are sticks with roots plunged in sawdust. That's what the joke is where you're selling people a stick and a promise. And yeah. uh, they are, the roots are in shavings. That uh, Livestock bedding is what I use. We have a watering system set up to mist them every day. You take them, you put them in a plastic bag with some of those shavings in there, and you get them home while it's nice and cold like things are right now while they're still dormant, and you plant them and you get the maximum root system. You get a really good head start for that tree. Uh, you'll find there are still nurseries. I'm sure other garden there centers are there many listening going, we still do it, we still do it. Yeah, it is kind of an old-fashioned thing. Yeah. Uh, it was the There's a lot of these 
seasonal things that have kind of fallen by the wayside. I mean, a lot of places started potting up their roses as soon as they arrived years ago. Mm -hmm. Um, Part of that was that they wanted to sell them in bloom rather than sell them bare root and not only get more money for them, but that's when people are really coming into your garden center. But the other thing that's out there, and this is going to be going away, are those flowering trees, the ornamental trees and some of the shade trees which were available bare root and not commonly available in containers. I mentioned the flowering cherries, for example, right. crab apples, things like that. Red buds. I, have, I happen to have four different kinds of red buds in stock right now. That's a great tree for this area. And all but, you can judge it by is the picture on the label. The, those pictures are very important at this yes. time of year. Yes, the marketing yeah. is the key thing for retailers in the wintertime for sales. But not just our western red bud, mm-hmm. the Chinese red bud, a new one called Merlot, which is a red-leafed Oklahoma mm-hmm. red bud. Okay. So it takes the yeah. heat better than the older red leaf types. And this is when, you know, they're more economical and you can find great selection. At other garden centers that have potted them, they're out there. They're probably in the back in the containers waiting to grow. They'll probably sell them to you. Uh, The great selection is there. And this is a time of year for it in a lot of old-fashioned nurseries. Uh, Don't call me an outlier. I'm old-fashioned. How do you sell your roses now? (laughs) I'm in containers on those because I didn't have enough space to continue with the bare root. But there are, I'm sure there's still someone out there selling them bare root. Most places pot Mm -hmm. the roses as soon as they come in. We learned over the years, and especially in the 1990s, two things happened. Rose sales declined dramatically. This is the story of the industry, really, that the drop and drop and drop year after year of sales and rose bushes at nurseries, where it was 5% a year. You know, what, 5%. Was it, what do you attribute that to? Uh, consumer preference trends. You know, They wanted easy care plants. They didn't want things that had a perception of being fussy. Baldo, we know roses don't have to be fussy, <laughs> but that was the perception. And it was kind of like your grandfather's plant and people, newer gardeners didn't yeah. want that. I've noticed that with other things like dahlias and some of the other sort of old fashioned plants. No, there's lots of low care roses out there. But the, finally, when the recession hit, you know, sales dropped even more dramatically. And most places found that uh, they were having to pot up too many from bare root as it was, they might as well just do it when they arrive. And it gives the staff something to do, and they were really selling more of them in bloom to the newer generation of gardeners who want to see them blooming. Uh, marketing is, is challenging for something as bare in a pot. But at least you're not selling your roses as uh, Baldo Viegas, Master Rosarian, aptly described on this program a few weeks ago, roses in body bags. No, Wait, no, no, no. The plastic no. containers, you'd, you'd see them in. No, that's, those are an abom- abomination. They, yeah. you think about what they have to do to the roots to get them into that bag. Yeah. No, the containers are a great way to go with roses, bare yeah. root if someone still does them. You're getting more. Of the, the more of the root system you get on a, one of these deciduous plants, the more you're getting for your money. Right. Yeah, there are downsides to the rose selections you might see, especially at big box stores that, you know, don't know that much about mm-hmm. gardening. Uh, really? Well. Have you noticed that? <laughs> you know, let's just, well, well. I'll leave it to you. Yeah, no. <laughs> I'm not going to go down that yeah, road. Yeah. But basically, any place you see where they're selling their roses tightly bound in plastic wrap so yeah. that you can't even see the condition of the roots, like Don says, the roots have had to been sheared back tremendously in order to fit them in yeah. that tight-fitting bag. And I've rescued some of those out of pity at times, and they, yes. they do take almost an extra year to get them up to size. Yeah. Do you still have grades on your roses? Yes, they're all still graded. Roses are graded by size of the size of the canes, and uh, grade number one is what you want to look for. Don't be shocked if there's a grade 1.5. On some things, there's some varieties that are just skinnier by nature. Floribunda roses, some of the landscape roses. That's, by the way, a growing category, the landscape and shrub roses, right. because they are easier to grow. They give you lots of bloom with very little effort. 
I put a picture of my favorite one at the uh, Get Growing with Farmer Fred Facebook page this mm-hmm. week, the light of rose. Yeah, these are yeah. things that you can plant and treat them just like a shrub in the landscape. Mm-hmm. So uh, part of it is perception. I wish we could overcome this notion that roses are very, very fussy. There are places where people live who grow roses, they have to spray them all the time. There's just no question. If you're trying to grow roses in Portland, Oregon, or Shreveport, Louisiana, or probably Ithaca, New York, where where it rains in the summer, uh, you're going to have more fungus problems. Here, I don't find them challenging to grow, but that perception was there. There are definitely trends when I write my book, (laughs) my memoir, there'll be a whole chapter on the rise and fall of the hybrid tea rose because they're, they're falling away and people are growing floribundas, grandifloras, landscape roses, things that, that sell themselves in containers. Those types of roses have lots of bloom per plant. Would another possible trend away from roses in the landscape being a reduction in available sunshine to grow plants, especially yeah. in homes that are more tightly packed together and smaller yards and taller yeah. homes? Yeah, and I also don't consider them terribly drought tolerant, although they can survive drought and recover from it. They want, you know, we all know that roses respond to fussing. I think about my grandfather, who was a very avid rose grower in Pasadena, had 50 or 75 rose bushes, dusted them every week. Remember when people yes, dusted yes. things? fed them like crazy, pruned them in a very specific method. To me, watching him, they did seem like a high-input garden plant. Mm-hmm. His results were worth it. I hate to think about what was on each rose when I was you know, cutting it and smelling it because he was using old-school post-World War II chemicals on them. But uh, he got fantastic That's results. how Don Corleone died. <laughs> <laughs> he got great results, and, yes. that, and the results speak for themselves. I really wish people would understand they're not that difficult, especially in a dry summer climate. We just don't have as many problems here. Yeah. But it's a good time to look for them. Most nurseries have roses. They all have fruit trees. Many of them have flowering plants, and some of them still have a good selection of shade trees this way. It's a great way to buy a maple or a zelkova or a sycamore. If you're planning on planting one of those, you're getting a bigger-than-15-gallon root ball, for less than the price of a 15-gallon tree. One more note about roses and the grading of roses. You'll see roses with a grade 1, a 1.5, or a grade 2. Mm-hmm. If you're shopping by price, especially if you're at a big box store, you're, you're going to see some roses that are priced much lower than others. But pay attention to the grade yep. of that rose. Yep. Grade. What are the drawbacks to a grade 2 rose? It's going to be smaller, uh, less vigorous at the outset. It will catch up if you're a good gardener and you're, and you're a bargain hunter yeah. and you, you find a variety there that you've you've been looking for 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 years and suddenly there it is pamper it what i would do in that situation is put it in a pot mm-hmm. in nice high quality potting soil like recipe 420 or something like that and uh, it, that'll give it some nice ni- a good fast growing root system pump it along get some blooms on it then put it out in the ground after several months in the container all right now you mentioned a product there eb stones uh <laughs> recipe 420 great stuff and it, it is a soil that was developed for a certain industry in yeah. in humboldt mendocino certain and segment Trinity of the market yes. yes but there are some nurseries who refuse to carry that because of the name so eb stone rebranded it for them and call it ultimate recipe that's the same thing it's yeah. an outstanding product now where well, it's i am slightly different it is i'm in a, a, I'm in a college town so recipe 420 sells great for me yeah. but my i've been testing it and using it it's their highest end product in their product line highest price highest quality and it really does give good results so if you need to give something a little extra natural organic fertilizer nice nice root system uh, it's a great way to go come on eb stone <laughs> That's right. <laughs> no, I grew solicited uh, uh, endorsement. I grew yeah. my containerized tomatoes and peppers last year because yep. I had to grow them in containers because we're so, revamping. So the sorry. Whole, no, we're revamping the whole yard, and now I got beautiful raised beds now in the backyard. Your pictures are great. But last year they're all in 
containers, and I use Ultimate Recipe yep. and Recipe Four Twenty. Great stuff. The tomatoes and peppers are still alive. Now, well, I, I wouldn't I, promise that. that but well, yeah, I know exactly. But <laughs> oh yes, you've moved into town where it's warmer. I remember now. <laughs> th- there's there's that, and also the fact that well, maybe be, with the we- weather we've had this weekend, with temperatures getting down to freezing level, rather unexpectedly for us, because normally. By late January in our area, we're kind of done with freezing temperatures. The probability of low temperature decreases as you get further into January. And, and I think a lot of people got caught by surprise yeah, this weekend. It was cold weekend. this morning. Yeah. Yes. yeah. And yeah. yesterday morning. So those peppers and tomatoes, when I get home, they may be toast. I'm a little surprised they were still going, but I live out, you know, out where I'm in. And out, they, what, what meteorologists refer to as frost in the outlying areas. That's you. I'm an outlying area. Yeah. yeah, I always get frost when that happens. Exactly. No, it's a great product. And if you're buying a, a, people call me all the time, they mail order to plant. So they call me to ask what to do about it when they receive it, which I always think is entertaining. Uh, <laughs> my, my usual suggestion is to pot it up right away. Yeah. Don't put it right in the ground because they've been stressed, to put it mildly. Right. In some cases, they've been sent out of season. You know, you're, you're working with a company that's perhaps in a colder climate, sending you things in early summer that you should have received in the spring. If you pot them up in a good quality potting soil, put them in light shade where you're sure to keep things watered, you'll get them going before you put them out. If you're buying one of those grade number two roses or it's in the bargain bin or something like that, do that. Pot, grow it in a container for a little while, then put it out in the garden. I just think that going right out into the garden is kind of asking for trouble. We have a new board operator, Terry. Welcome to the show, Terry. Glad to have you along. He's got that worried look, and he's shooting you daggers in the back of your head, Don. Uh-oh. Because Terry wants to take a break. So we'll Go take that break because, you know, okay. we, we, we cut these guys slack on their first time on the, on the show. <laughs> so we'll do that for Terry. We'll take that break, and then we'll come back with more. We'll answer your garden questions, too, when we come back to Get Growing on Talk 650 KSTE. Mark Haney here for the Haney... You're listening to Get Growing with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. Got a garden question? Give us a call. The number's to call in, 916-576-1578, 916-576-1578, or toll-free, 866-331-8255, 866-331-8255. Email, send it to fred at farmerfred.com. Let's delve into the email. Hugh and Shirley from Lodi write in, Don, and they ask, Our gala apple tree is about 25 years old, Mm -hmm. but the last few years the apples are falling off the tree when they're small and they're filled with a worm. Mm -hmm. What can we do? Coddling moth of apples is probably the most difficult thing to manage in the home orchard, and it is, in my opinion, the limiting factor on apples in the Sacramento Valley and almost anywhere apples are grown. If you want to confuse yourself, Go to the IPM website at UC Davis and look at how the farmers deal with it, ipm.ucdavis.edu. And And take your computer with you. Yeah, why not? (laughs) your calculator. You're going to be looking at, um, here's the one data point that I pulled off of there that I find useful. 62 degree sunset temperature. Okay, 62 degree sunset temperature is when the first coddling moths start flying, more or less. At sunset, temperature at sunset. Sunset, sunset, because that's something we can all notice. No, we're home at sunset. You're walking around your garden. What's the temperature? That's when the first generation is typically ovipositing. You have to spray with something. Explain what ovipositing is. That's when she's laying her eggs on the little fruit. Now, the old rule I learned when I was first learning about coddling moth was when the, the trees are at 50% petal drop. Now, there's a there little go. harder to measure, yeah. but what that means is it's still blooming and there's petals on the ground. Yeah. So it's past the peak of bloom. The first apples are already setting. They've been pollinized and they're already setting. Size of marbles. Uh, and that is when the very first, typically, uh, ovipositing egg laying begins. Not always. It's more temperature related mm-hmm. than the stage of bloom. 
And apples, of course, bloom at different times. I have one that blooms a full month ahead of all the others. Uh, you then have to start spraying with something. And in old days, it was malathion. Nowadays, the organic gardeners can use spinosad. Mm-hmm. Works well on it. But you've got to do multiple applications, and you got to get good coverage, and you've got to do it when the moths are ovipositing. Or you could bag all your apples. That's the that's actually easier in some ways yeah. than all this other stuff we're talking about. So most people find if they spray with something like spinosad, which is organic, you know, it's a, read the label, but it's an organic spray. Mm-hmm. If they do that two to four times at two to three week intervals from that first period when there's petals all over the ground. Through May? <laughs> through That's into June, actually. Yeah, June, that takes you yeah. into June. You'll get a lot of apples that don't have worms in them. And if you're really assiduous about picking up the ones that fall on the ground, which have the worms in them, that helps to break up the second generation. And so you throw those away. Here's a, trip, a, a, a tip. Chickens make a great pest manager. Tool, tool, well, they're we not say. eating the moth. No, they're eating the apples that fall on the ground. Yeah. So if you have your chickens oh, out okay. there and those little apples are falling on the ground, they're full of worms, the chickens, I guarantee you, will eat them. People who have chickens tell me they don't have nearly as many cobbling okay. moth problems. So the, the last resort is actually some ways the easiest. I've had customers do exactly what Fred described. They take a bag. It can be Paper a bag, number usually. four sandwich bag. Yeah. There's actually special bags they make for them. I know mm-hmm. Peaceful Valley Farm Supply sells yeah. special fruit bags that you can reuse from year to year. You go out when the apple is just marble size, real small. You slip the bag over it. If it's a, a paper bag, you just fold it over and staple it. If it's the other type, they're just going to tie, and it, it stays on there and keeps the moth out during the whole period of fruit development. You do that with a couple dozen of them, you at least have a nice basket full of worm-free apples, and you don't have to worry about all this other stuff. We what is about. the final color of an apple that's been in a bag for its whole growing season? It's, it wouldn't be commercial quality, so that would be an issue. They'll color up, but they don't get the the robust color. Now, we're not usually growing you know, bright red apples. We're growing Anders and Fuji and ones yeah. that are more burnished red rather than solid bright red anyway. Uh, so the varieties that we do here, this is fine. I used to think this would sounded like a big hassle. And one, one lady said, you know, for two or three dozen apples, it's a heck of a lot easier than dragging out your sprayer, spraying the tree. How many times did you say, Don? And paying <laughs> and attention to growing degree days. Right, degree days and, and, and monitoring. But if you're going to try and do it the old-fashioned way, as soon as you see an apple with a little frass on the bottom of it where the worm has gotten in, pull that off, throw it away, pick them up, keep the orchard floor clean, and consider that spraying option. Coddling moth is a hassle. There's no question. It's probably the biggest hassle for apples and, to some degree, pears if they're nearby. So, Hugh and Shirley, uh, the short answer to your question, what can we do? Answer, not much. Bags. Put bags on the tree. This is important. Keep the trees short enough that you can do all this stuff. Uh, Keep your apples down so that if you are going to spray and use something like a hose-end sprayer, you'll be able to get good coverage. If it's way up high, a 15 to 20 foot tree, you're just not going to be able to get the spray material up Six there. or seven feet tall, you're still going to get plenty of apples. Yeah. For more information, uh, the, the site Don mentions is a good one to find out more about the coddling moth uh, at the University of California Integrated Pest Management site. So if you just uh, Google the phrase coddling moth UC IPM or UCANR. Just uh, bookmark ipm.ucdavis.edu. Now the one problem with that and this is a bureaucratic issue mm-hmm. with UC Davis. If you just go UC IPM, the first page that will pop up will be their commercial ag page correct. for control. Always and fun. you're going to see this list of, of, oh my God, of yes. chemicals <laughs> at the bottom. You'll never grow an apple again. <laughs> yeah, that you don't want anything to do You probably won't even with. buy them in the grocery store at that point. <laughs> I have discovered if you, instead of saying UC IPM, you say UCANR, ah. which is the Ag and Natural Resources. Yep. You put in UCANR coddling moth, 
the home page for the home gardener will appear first. Which is much, yeah, it's fun to read between the two. Here's what they recommend for home gardeners, and then go over to the other page for things like coddling moth. You realize how complicated it is to grow an apple and get it to the market. Yeah. I'm going to throw in one more thing. This is from Ellie Cook Company. It was also mentioned to me by the first person who introduced me to the Anders apple, said to be coddling moth resistant. Yeah. I don't know what does how that mean? or why. I, I, I cannot think for the life of me how an apple would be resistant to Would you chip moth. a tooth biting I, into it? I don't know. <laughs> but that came from their description. It's right up on my website. I just carried it over from Ellie Cook Company. It's uh, medium to large. It's got a low chilling hour, a good all-purpose apple. It's the kind you can pick green or use later when it's more ripe. Reminds you of Fuji and said to be cuddling moth resistant. Okay. Yeah, okay. You all can be my beta testers on that. Yeah, I, I don't know about that. <laughs> but... Um, I, I think that's one reason why you're not seeing, and, and the commercial apple industry in California is not that big anyway. No, this isn't really apple country. Yeah. When I give talks about fruit trees, the I'll, I'll, first thing I'll talk about is which ones are easy to grow, which ones take more work. I mean, you can plant a persimmon, a pomegranate, or a fig. Just wait. You'll get fruit. You don't really have to do anything at all if you don't want mm-hmm. to with those. you got peaches and nectarines that need some pruning, need some spraying, but they're not that hard to get good fruit to the table. That's my criteria. How easy is it to get good fruit to your table? Does leaf curl affect that? Um, not really. But uh, an, a worm in the fruit, that's definitely a downer for most people. So on my scale of easy to grow and get good fruit to your table. Apples are pretty low on that scale, unfortunately. Pretty hard to get good quality worm-free fruit. If you had room for only one fruit tree to grow in your yard, what would it be? <laughs> oh, it would probably be a really good quality plum mm. because I, our family, all of us, really like the good plums. Um, and I, I, plums and pluots are definitely family favorites, although yeah. I still would probably come back to, just as my customers would, a good mid-season freestone peach. Really? Yeah, okay. Loring or even a late one like O'Henry. And I'll, by the way, I'll get that question, what's your best peach? I mean, I have 15 varieties and I'm a small nursery. But for a really good all-purpose, can't beat it, freestone, mid-season yellow peach flooring is outstanding. I, I can't imagine being in the situation of only having one fruit tree. I know. Well. <laughs> I tried to do that exercise when someone said, what are the five you would grow? And for that, there'd be a plum. I'm leaning towards Inca these days. As a, as really? A, yes. It's a yellow, firm-fleshed plum, this outstanding flavor. and I, Not well-known. I hope that one doesn't fall out of the trade. Um, that's a really good one. I, Pluots continue to be very popular, partly because they're unique, uh, partly because uh, in some cases they hold on the tree for several weeks, and so you can use them over yep. a long period of time. Uh, we're talking deciduous trees here. You know, Citrus would be Satsuma mandarin and probably a Washington navel. So now I'm up to, what, five, right? Uh, um, we're four. Yeah. 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 So then Inca, Inca, Inca plum. Plum. Yep. Yeah, what, what variety of Pluot do you like? Um, I like Dapple Dandy. I think probably has the best flavor still, even though that one's old enough to be off patent at this point. There are newer ones, and every new one is unique in its own way, but I think Dapple Dandy just keeps standing the test of time in that category. The one I would choose... The one fruit tree you would grow when you've moved to an even smaller property. Yes, that had sun. Yeah, right. (laughs) Uh, The Fuyu Persimmon. Well, that's an easy one. Definitely high up in, uh, in the category of easy to grow. And what what I like about it is the fact that you, when that tree is producing fruit and in harvest time in October, November, you can, still on there. Yeah. You, you can slice up the fruit, put it in your dehydrator, and you can be eating persimmons the rest of the year. I should have brought you a bag. Oh, yeah. You have some Oh, yes, plenty. I have a picture of my son, who's six foot five, in your branch. standing in front of my Fuyu persimmon. It is five times as tall as he is. And I mm-hmm. said he's six foot five. 
And by our grid count, there are 500 fruit on it that, that particular year that I took that picture. Yeah. And that's pretty typical of a Fuyu persimmon. Yeah. Now, you don't do the hot chia because that one's no, for cooking. It's soft yeah. and squishy. It's, it's, but it. Fuyu is fun. And, and if you're out there and you want to grow a fruit tree and you don't have to do anything at all to it, I would say the Fuyu persimmon is in that category. Pretty drought tolerant, too. Reasonably so. Yeah. The only thing that ever goes wrong with them, honestly, is squirrels will get up and knock the fruit off. Um, you can share plenty with the birds. There's a litter factor. Well, I've also um, discovered overweight cats who climb the branches to go after squirrels. And can't And no, they break the branch. <laughs> <laughs> Seems like a manageable problem. From the weight. <laughs> but, All right. Yeah, no, I mean, definitely. I, I always mention these three. Pomegranates, persimmons, figs. If you want to grow, we're in an area where all those do extremely well. Figs are another a good example. I'm not a huge fan of figs, but if you are, man, you live in the right place. Yep. Just, you can grow all of them here. Yep. We need to take a break. When we come back, uh, I think we'll talk to John in Fallbrook. He's got a question for us. You got a question? Give us a call 576-1578 here in the 916 or toll free 866-331-8255. It's Get Growing on Talk 650. KSTV. Dave Ramsey here. If- Get Growing continues with Farmer Fred. Welcome back, Fred here. Don Shore is here from Redwood Barn Nursery in Davis. Glad to have you along on the show. Here goes the music. There it goes. All right. <laughs> Let's talk with John in Fallbrook here on Get Growing. John, down in Fallbrook, how's, how's the, it, how's the avocados? <laughs> They're good, actually. They're not as many as I had last year, but we're doing okay. Really, here's the question. How's the weather in Fallbrook? Um, it's chilly right now. It's uh, probably 50, sunny. Yeah. Uh, it's kind of a had a little rain come through a day or two ago, not anything measurable, but it dropped the temperature a bit. Are you paying attention to chill hours down there? Not that you need to. <laughs> <laughs> well, I got some apples I worry about and a couple of nectarines that I do. You that I hope to do well. But, I've been kind of uh, curious because the, the, all of Southern California has had very high temperatures November and December. I was seeing I was seeing some figures that were just off the charts. I think records were broken in L.A. more than once in December. So I don't know what you're, what varieties you're growing, but let's hope you get the chilling you need. Yeah, I, I hope that every year. By right. the way, <laughs> um, you had mentioned uh, persimmons in an earlier segment. Yep, and how big the fuyu get. Do, do oh, they the tree, have the tree itself? Uh, the tree can get as big as you let it. Now, there's no reason I had to let mine get 30 feet. There is a slower-growing, non-astringent persimmon that resembles fuyu called izu. Izu. I-Z-U. Izu. I-Z-U. I don't, I don't stock it. Uh, I don't think most nurseries do because they find everybody just wants fuyu. But there's no reason you can't take the center out of a fuyu persimmon when it's young, train it as a lower tree, keep it under 15 feet with no problem. I've let mine go because I like it. It's pretty, and it's a mm-hmm. very, very attractive tree. The fruit hanging on there in the winter is lovely. The birds like it. And also, I live out in the country, so I don't care how much fruit falls on the ground. The one thing to consider when growing a persimmon tree is it likes to spread wide, not necessarily tall. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. make sure that you've got room for it on all sides to yeah. do a natural spread. And then you can keep it within bounds. You can shape it in. It's not yeah. A lot of people don't prune them because there's no need to, but you can for size control. I would like see people to prune them aesthetically because it's an ornamental garden tree that you grow as much for how pretty it is as you do for, you know, for the fruit mm-hmm. itself. But you could keep it down. Yes, the answer to your question, though, there does exist a slower growing of the, what we call the non-astringent types that you can eat right off the tree. It's called izu, and you might call, let's see, in Fallbrook, I think you would call Walter Anderson Nursery down in San Diego and see if they've mm-hmm. got that one in stock. Uh, okay, and and when they spread, how 
how what are you talking about spread I'm, I'm my mature tree is, my mature tree is 15 feet across yeah. and i could have kept it in bounds if i wanted to if it hangs in your neighbor's yard they probably won't complain i kept mine at eight foot across yeah. and it, it did fine so they're, oh, they're eight, pr- between eight and 15 i, I would be good yeah, uh, you okay. can manage that um, that's no problem you'll still get plenty okay. of fruit they, they yeah. kind of bounce back and forth they are one of these trees that's known for alternate bearing so you get i have my tree goes from 800 fruit to 400 fruit and back again you'll still have plenty that's more than yeah. all of us can eat on that street so uh, you'll have plenty once they get established it takes a while for them to get going i know it's about three to four years before you really start getting production and but, there yeah. may be some bird pecking going on yes you'll share them yeah <laughs> would that come in a bare root should oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah. It's, this is the good time of year to be yeah. looking for it uh, get in touch with okay. local nurseries and see if they have that. Would you know, Fuyu will be fine. You'll be happy with it. You can manage it. The one you'd be looking for is said to be more dwarf. Izu, Izu, I Z U, or the giant Fuyu. I like yeah. that one too. Yeah. That's a good tasting one. So as long as you're not afraid to prune, I think you can size control them any way yeah. you want. Okay, great. Okay. Well, well, thank thank you, man. Uh, happy New Year to both of you. Hey, you, too. you too, John. Thanks for giving us a call. Appreciate it. All right, bye bye. All right, let's uh, head over to Carmichael and talk with Tina here on Get Growing. Hi, Tina. Hi, Fred. This is, uh, well, this is it's Tina. Tina and Carmichael, <laughs> yes. <laughs> I was just at the Scion Exchange, ah. and I got some blueberry Scions. Whoa. So they're for rooting. So now what do I do to root them? Stick them in the ground. Use a fast-draining medium. Yes. <laughs> that's a, you could try sticking them in the ground. Yeah. Yeah, that's one. That's not really a scion exchange. That's a cutting well, exchange. Well, they are. They, they are yeah. doing that. Well, that, that was on the miscellaneous table. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. But they are yeah. selling rooting uh, material, if you will. If I were doing them, that's great to know that they do that. Yeah. If I were doing them, I would go get some rooting hormone that you can buy at any good garden center. And I would get a fast draining medium, either a seedling starting mix, which is usually peat moss mixed with perlite or a really fast draining potting soil. I'd rather use a seedling mix because it's just naturally more sterile, less likely to have, you know, disease problems. And drains easily. And drains fast. And I would just dip Mm -hmm. them in, dip them in the hormone, stick them in the stuff and set them where they'll be cool and lightly shaded and uh, keep them watered. I would go one step further. We're talking about blueberries here, an an acid-loving plant that likes a pH around Mm 5.5. So maybe for that mix, it would be like one-third peat moss, one-third an azalea camellia soil mix, and one-third small bark. Well, peat moss, yeah, the bark is actually a handy thing to add for drainage as well. The peat moss is the pH that you're after. Yeah. And if you're just buying a bag of seedling starting mix, most of those are just peat and perlite. So that would probably uh, be what you're after. But adding some bark is not a bad idea for drainage as yeah. well. Yep. But yeah, so yeah, good good idea. You, you want to make sure that wherever you're going to stick, I, I would flippantly said stick it in the ground, mm-hmm. but it should be in soil that is a low pH soil. And that's why I like to use containers for blueberries. Okay. So you, you grow your blueberries in containers? Yes, I grow them in cattle watering troughs. Yeah, done that oh, myself. Okay. Yeah. I have blueberries in large. I'm, I'm, I'm on hard well water. My pH is 8.1. And, and I'm growing blueberries. And I'm doing it by using essentially what he was describing, an azalea mix that I augmented somewhat with more peat moss and some bark. I put each one where it's in a single container into a 20-inch plastic container. Nurseries sell these. 
and it's in just a good quality soil mix. It's where it gets watered quite regularly, at least a couple times a week. I did some in the livestock troughs, like Fred mm-hmm. is describing. That's worked even better because they didn't dry out as quickly. Uh, they have a bigger soil volume, and they've worked well for me. I'm in going into my second year with some of them and third year with one. And even with the very hard well water, they show a little late-season yellowing because of my water. I did add a lot of sulfur. Uh, we sell a lot of sulfur in the Davis area because of our hard water. And a cup or two of sulfur mixed in per plant has right. made a big difference as well. Yeah, a handful of soil sulfur, but wear a glove. <laughs> right. A cup, or, a cup or two is what we do because yeah, of, of the water quality. But, so uh, yeah, the uh, blueberries I grew in cattle watering troughs were there for, what, seven years, eight yeah. years? And they kept producing. Take the drain the thing through. out the bottom. Don't forget to do that. You drill big holes, drill in, holes the in the bottom yes. for drainage. Yes. Any good feed store will have those. And yeah. that's a really, I did that with, I put three in a trough, mm-hmm. surrounded them with strawberries. They're growing great. I got loads of strawberries, by the way, that way. That worked very well. And it also reminded me to water because the strawberries need a lot of water. Yeah. So I actually ran a drip line so that I could just water a couple times a week with a very thorough soak. Exactly. You could drill well. a hole in the bottom for a drip line and snake that up through and have a like a micro sprinkler on top. Yeah, and even in the first summer or first late spring, I was getting a lot of blueberries. I've been very pleased with the output. Yeah. Give it a try. Tina, we have to run here. Thanks for calling. Okay, thank you. All right, bye-bye. We've got a garden grappler on the way, a chance for you to pick up a prize or two from the Farmer Fred Price Closet. I hope Terry's ready in there for the garden grappler. He thinks he's ready, so we'll find out. And uh, there is a clue available at FarmerFred.com. There is a clue available at the Get Growing with Farmer Fred Facebook page. Don Shore is here. Don will be judging the quality of your answers. He claims he's a liberal judge. That's correct. So we will see how far in the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals spectrum he is uh, for the quality of your answer. So we'll be doing the Garden Grappler when we come back to Get Growing. And you're listening to Get Growing on Talk 650 KSTE, KSTE.com, and the iHeartRadio app. All your favorite. You're listening to Get Growing with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. All right, it's Garden Grappler time. A chance for you to pick up a prize or two from the Farmer Fred my, Prize Closet. Slipping on my robe over here. Yes. Okay, I'm ready right. to go. Don Shore is here to judge the quality of your answers for the Garden Grappler. The number's to call in. 576-1578 in the 916. Or toll free, 866-331-8255. Today's question... Name a deciduous fruit tree that you would like to add to your yard, but be specific. Now, what do you mean by be specific? I will give an example. Okay. Let's say... So this one's off the table. This, this one will be off the table and be one that I just mentioned a right. few minutes ago. Um, the persimmon fuyu. Ah. The fuyu persimmon. You can't just say persimmon. You can't just say persimmon. You'd fuyu. have to say okay. fuyu persimmon. Okay. So that's true with any deciduous fruit tree. A variety. A variety, yes. Okay. So be specific. Now, the question is, well, what do you mean by deciduous? Drops its leaves. It's supposed to drop its leaves in the wintertime. Supposed to, yeah. Supposed to, that yeah. being the operative word. All right. Yeah. Okay, it's not evergreen. Name a deciduous fruit tree that you would like to add to your yard. Be specific. 576-1578 in the 916. Outside the area, 866-331-8255. You ready for the fun, Terry? He's will they, ready. Will they line up? Yes, you grown, Mike's ready, too. Let's take a minute here while we're waiting for them. Have you grown miniature peaches and nectarines in your new your new urban setting? You're walking into a minefield right now right. because you might accidentally give out an answer. I won't say a name. 
Have you grown them in general, the shorter type? Yeah, I do. Oh, yeah. The, yeah. There is one that I would raps, wax rhapsodic about right now. <laughs> in a few moments, if, you if might. If I could, <laughs> yes, yeah. but I won't yeah. because it's a minefield. For people who are limited now. for space, yes. these are the... Yeah, they're great. Yeah. They taste good, too. They're, in, in general, the first ones that came on the market, which I won't name, uh, <laughs> were really pretty flowers, and yeah. they were interesting novelties. Yeah. They looked like a shrub, and they would still have full-size fruit of the type they were supposed to be, and it was good. On yes. a scale of 1 to 10, they would be like a 6. Yeah. There's some okay. newer ones that are even better than that. Of course, we can't don't say men- the name. Yeah, don't, don't mention, mention any names. Name. But if you're limited for space, we were talking with the, the last caller about pruning his persimmon. Well, you know, there's there's many people, do, you say the word prune and they, they get scared. It really, it's not hard. It's actually quite easy to do, especially if you go out to places like the Fair Oaks uh, Community Garden and look at how they're doing it there at the display orchard, the different techniques they have in place. You can look at them. They actually have workshops go out in the late summer to see what they mean, what we mean when we talk about summer pruning, which I'm still explaining to a lot of people who are raised on the tradition of midwinter dormant pruning. Uh, there's ways to control the size and manage the fruit to reduce the amount of fruit. I say that when I give talks on this. People go, why would I want to reduce the amount of fruit? Well, a peach grown to full perfection can produce, I believe it's 2,000 fruit per tree. That's probably <laughs> 1,950 more than you'll use in the five days in which it ripens. So you want to reduce the amount that you'll have coming into your backyard from that variety. Let's pretend it's an early one. Right. And then there's a mid-season one and a late-season one. You can get peaches from May through into September. Mm-hmm. You can get you know, uh, uh, apples as early as I believe July or August for the first of them and the latest perhaps coming in as late as October, November. So you can find on various nurseries, including my own, charts that will show you ways to get fruit all year round from your backyard orchard. And uh, is that the Dave Wilson chart? No, it's yeah. my own, but oh, okay. they have they have All a really right. good one. Yes, yeah. yeah, they have an outstanding one. And uh, yeah, you can find that at their website, DaveWilson.com. If you take citrus on the one hand and all these deciduous. On the other hand, there are, there are mandarins that ripen all the way into the summer. Right. There are fruit trees that start in the summer and go all the way into the winter. All right. So I tell you what, while uh, Terry and Mike are lining up uh, the five contestants here, let's get out of the minefield here and right. uh, answer some email okay. where, where we may not have to answer any specific uh, uh, species questions here. Uh, John and Turlock writes in and says, I need to move a couple of two-year-old apple trees as they aren't getting enough sun can I just dig them up and replant them as bare root without worrying about the root ball? Yes, get as much of the roots as you can. They've probably yeah. expanded out maybe 50% from where you, what they were when you planted them. And this is a great time to do that, assuming that John, where was he from? Turlock. Turlock, yeah. You can nice sandy soil. Yeah, you can do it now. The nice soil is actually really nicely soil. workable yeah. after that three-inch-plus rainstorm and dry before that. The soil is uniquely workable for this time of year uh, in our area. I was out digging holes and planting bare root trees on my property with very little effort. Normally, it's pretty hard on my back doing things in the third week of January because it's so muddy. Well, that's not an issue right now. Yes, temperatures are great. This is a good time to move any deciduous plant like that. Two years in the ground, you should be fine. Since moving to Folsom, I discovered that the uh, real, if the gardener there says, well, yeah, use your shovel, what they mean is use a pickaxe. Right. <laughs> <laughs> my understanding is Folsom has areas that are very rocky uh, yes. from old placer mining mm-hmm. debris and areas that are not so bad. I don't know if that affects house housing values, but I think it probably does affect how you garden. And actually, you can get a pretty good idea of the soil type just by walking through the various neighborhoods and seeing the size of the plants. Well, there you go. <laughs> and yeah. the, the fact yeah. that there are some areas that are lush. Yeah. 
uh, can give you an indication that the soil there must be pretty good. More workable. Yes, as opposed to developments. And there's a lot of new developments going in, especially south of Highway 50, where, uh, yeah, they're, they're going to be planting on rocks and rattlesnakes. Right. Maybe the land of raised planters like Matomas. Yeah, yeah, could be. Uh, but you know, hard to say how deep uh, the soil could be in some spots because right. all gardening is local, right. as we are so fond of saying. Well, let's uh, start the fun here and uh, get some answers on today's Garden Grappler. Name a deciduous fruit tree that you would like to add to your yard, but be specific. Sandy in Browns Valley goes first. Sandy, how are you? I'm fine, thanks. All righty. What uh, deciduous fruit tree would you want to add to your uh, collection? I'd love to have a peach. And the one I remember you saying um, maybe not was ideal for this area was Red Haven. It is but, ideal now, but uh, it's one that has a high chilling requirement, so perhaps the next generation of gardeners in the valley won't be planting Red Haven, but that's a fantastic, mm-hmm. commercial quality, excellent peach. Now, Browns Valley has a bit of altitude yep. to it, doesn't it, yep. there by Yuba City? Uh, we're a little bit there. Yeah. yeah. Um, we're in the, in the very low foothills. We're not actually in the valley. Yeah, right, I think I right. think anybody nowadays would probably still be fine planting Red Haven. I think perhaps in future generations, if it's warmer, then they won't be. But it's a good one for you for now. It's a really you know, high quality you know piece. I want it for the flowers more than I want oh, there you it for go. the fruit. <laughs> okay. what, yeah. it, what is ideal? Oh, what's ideal for flowers? Oh, no, we, I don't want to yeah. give out any answers. Can't answer that. Well, after we're done <laughs> oh, the five, yes. okay, after we're done yeah. the five, I'll I, mention a couple that are yeah. great for flowers. I, I can think of one too that my yeah. daughter is growing. That's yeah. just excellent. Yeah. So uh, remind us but, to do you, that when somebody mentions it. Mention it. There you okay, go. Okay, all right. Okay. And Red, ha- Red Haven okay. certainly passes. All right, Sandy. I'll be sending you uh, a couple of my handouts called "Choosing and Planting Bare Root Fruit and Nut Trees" as well as "Growing Winter Vegetables." So I'll be sending that. Okay, your way. I have a question. Okay. Any time for that? It's not about fruit trees. It's fine. My older rose bush is maybe 12 years old. Um, it's a climber, and it's the bottom of it is splitting. The bark's all splitting off. It doesn't look dead. It hasn't affected the bloom, but is it dying? I can't see it from here. No, well, it's not dying, but it's old and it's woody. And one of the parts of pruning, even with climbers, is renewing that every so often. It's more challenging to figure out with climbers. Boy, that'd be a great question for Baldo, is how you deal with an old, overgrown climber. But on my, when I've dealt with them, I do try to prune out the parts that are getting to the point where the bark is gray and splitting. Right, and, the, I'm, and I'm really thorny. Yeah, and I'm concerned about borers and stuff getting in there. And usually yeah. there's new canes coming up, just like on a bush. It's just a little more complicated to do it. It would be. It's, it's it, farther down on the yes. bigger part of the. Yeah, it's hard. It's tw- is 12 years old old for a, a climbing rose? Not really. No. no, they can live for many, many years as long as they're properly pruned and cared for. Right. So you just got to figure out, send Fred a picture and he'll look okay. at it and he'll show it to Baldo next time he's on the show and Baldo can tell you exactly how to do it. But trying to prune that out of there to get some nice new branches to come up and replace it would be a good plan if that's possible. It's a little more right. challenging with a climbing rose, though. I've got to say that from experience. Yeah, unless you All want to start right. from scratch yeah. and just basically yeah. cut it back down. Yeah. And- right. But I've done that too. Yeah. But, <laughs> can you do that? Can I cut it all the you, way back? You after sacrifice the bloom, but yes, you can. Yeah. yeah. And you could start okay. all over again. Yeah. Okay, great. Thanks. All right, Thanks. Sandy. Thanks for calling. Appreciate it. All right. Caller number two in today's Garden Grappler. It's Bill in Paradise. Hi, Bill. Hi, Fred. So, Bill, uh, what uh, deciduous fruit tree would you like to add to your yard? Well, I would like to add a Gravenstein apple. I'm not sure how well it would do here because I've mostly seen it over on the coast. 
A good point. It's sort of a Santa Rosa, Sonoma County kind of apple. It's traditional there. Yeah. It grows here. The Russians brought it, I believe. It's a a traditional, it's the one that's in the Sebastopol area. I think you better double check if this is one case where I do believe you need a pollinizer, so you might have to have two. I'm going to check that for you real quick. Other than that, they grow fine in the valley, and I get people asking for them. Gravenstein. 700 hours, pollinizer required. So you would want to get a Fuji or a Gala to go with it. And Bill's in paradise, so that shouldn't be a problem with the chill hours. Because you're up on about... Gala and the Fuji, I'm just wondering about that Gravenstein. Yeah, if you have them, they'll take care of the cross-pollinization, and the Gravenstein should do fine for you. Or did you mention Empire? Yep. Okay, Empire, uh, Fuji, or Gala. So, yep, it's a good choice. Why did we just give away answers? (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, those are off the table now, folks. The Gravenstein <laughs> apple gets you. first, and then I added it. <laughs> yeah, That's right. Oh, man, right, Bill. So. You, you caught us. <laughs> All right, Bill, I'll send you some stuff. Okay, good. <laughs> All right, thanks for the answer. Bye bye. Clear a mistrial. <laughs> yeah, all right. <laughs> we'll take a short break. We'll get to answers three, four, and five in today's Garden Grappler, naming a deciduous fruit tree that you would like to add to your yard, but be specific. It's Get Growing on Talk 650 KSTE. Do you have a small yard? Get Growing continues with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. All right, we're going to callers 3, 4, and 5 in today's Garden Grappler. We're Pe- going to stop blurting out variety yes. here. <laughs> People who can name a deciduous fruit tree that you would like to add to your own yard. Be specific. And uh, Ted and Granite Bay, be specific, would you? All right, I will. Hey, did you see the new tractor? I was going to comment uh, as I as I was riding my bike down Itchy Acres yeah. this past week. I go, "Ooh, what a pretty red tractor in Ted's yard!" What yeah, is it? What I is bought it? that for my. It's my wife's early 60th wedding anniversary gift. Now, uh, what I want to know is: is that a used tra- uh, tractor with just a fancy paint job to make up for the no. fact it doesn't run? No, it's brand new. Oh, what is it? it- well, I'm not going to tell you. <laughs> okay. You have a new tractor. All right, it doesn't look like a Kubota. Yes, it is. Oh, it is a Kubota. Okay. Yes. All right. Yeah. Okay. Now, that so, is, I, 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 I did admire your tractor. Okay. Well, thank you very much. Yes. So we're going to be using that. Okay. okay. How about a, Congratulations about a, on 60 years, by the way. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I he, figure if I gave her that, I'd have it. Uh, she'd work another 20. <laughs> His wife is very good at digging irrigation ditches in Granite Bay. Ah, well, that's that's, she, that's a key. Yeah, she does all of that. So she's in her element when she's on the tractor. All right. So what variety? What variety would be okay, would go into your pe- new? Go ahead. Picotum. Oh, there we go. And I guess a picotum is a picotum. It, it's, yeah, there's uh, a name. There is a there's a name of that variety, but I think in this case there is only one. Yeah. So our our yeah. judgment is that picotum is fine. The, the official name okay. of the the picotum is uh, Bella Gold. It's Bella Gold. Yeah. But that's the only one there. Oh, so the, that's yeah, the only so, one you'll find. So you win. You pass. Picotum. Good okay. answer. I, I do. I do see that on there. The Bella Gold. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So what I'll do is I'll uh, I'll 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 put some papers on your uh, tractor seat there. There you go. Okay. Thank you. All add, right, Ted. Thanks for your, right. your list. All right. Add to your list of comments. We need to mention the appropriate pollinizers for his picotum. Yeah. <laughs> Don't mention <laughs> in about any. two minutes. Okay. All right. Picotum pollinizers. Remember that the PP. All right, Zella in Lincoln. Go ahead and uh, name us a uh, deciduous fruit tree you'd like to add to your yard. Moon glow pear. There you go. That's a good 
reasonably fire blight resistant European pear. European pear. So this is a is that considered a Bosque pear? No, it's its own variety. Moonglow okay. is right. it resembles another well known pear that you would buy in the grocery store. And why did you mention? Yeah, that? I know, <laughs> I know. <laughs> you're, you're really Moonglow. The main advantage of it, the one of the big selling points, good fire blight resistance, and that's really important on pears in the Sacramento Valley. Exactly. Good Mo- choice. Moonglow pear. Moonglow pear. Yep. All right. Good, good answer European there, Zella. Thank you. All right. So I'll be sending you from the Farmer Fred Library of Fine Pieces of Paper, Choosing and Planting Bare Root Fruit and Nut Trees and Growing Winter Vegetables. Thank you very much. Thank you, Zella. All right. Appreciate it. Bye-bye. I kind of like this orchard we're putting together here with these choices. Yeah, very nice. Well, that takes us to call at number five. It's Muhammad here in Sacramento. And, Muhammad, I tell you what, do you have room for a fruit tree in your yard? Oh, yeah, I do. Okay, okay because if you can give us a deciduous fruit tree you'd like to add to your yard, I have a fruit tree for you as a prize, but I'm not going to mention what's, what it is because I don't want to give away any answers. <laughs> so what's the answer first? Okay. okay, so I would like to have a lot of fruit trees, but uh, since I got only one option right now, so it's, it will be Asian pear. Okay. All right, now there's a lot of varieties of Asian pear, so which one are you going to get? Oh, I thought it was only one variety. No, oh, no. Okay, no, what about, okay, what about bar, Bartlett pears? That's not an Asian pear, but it is a good it is variety. So, yes. that's a, that, so that does pear. get you past the threshold of winning the prize, Whew. and then we can talk about Bartlett in a moment. Okay. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, so, so I have for you, Mohammed, and you better have room for this because it's a nice prize. From Dave Wilson Nursery, a five-in-one fruit salad tree wow. featuring the Gold Dust Peach, the July Alberta Peach, the Independence Nectarine, the Blenheim Apricot, and the Late Santa Rosa Plum. which All is, on one tree. All on one tree. Oh, nice. So a, a multi-budded fruit tree Appreciate from it. Dave Wilson Nursery coming your way, all because you... Uh, Scrambled at the last second and came up with Bartlett pear. Good job. Well done. Yeah. So Thank you. Congratulations, Muhammad. Thank you. Nice talking to you, Fred. All right. Nice talking to Thanks you. Thanks for coming. All right. Bye-bye. Okay. Yeah. So let's see. Bye-bye. All right. Now. A couple of quick data points. One, Bartlett is a very fire blight susceptible pear. Right. I sell Moonglow because it's a lot like Bartlett. That's the one I was thinking mm-hmm. of. But uh, Moonglow is resistant and Bartlett is susceptible. It requires constant spraying by commercial growers to keep the fire blight off it. Uh, the picotum, that pollenizer, bella gold, it does need yeah. a pollenizer. You need to either have a Blenheim apricot mm-hmm. or a flavor grenade pluot. Flavor grenade is a wonderful pluot. So if you've got room for that, plant that next to your picotum, that would be fine. Okay. Pretty good chance if you have an apricot, you've already got Blenheim apricot because that's the most popular. Do you get a lot of complaints or disappointment from people about growing apricots here? Yeah, brown rot is a big problem, and it yeah. was last year with all the rain especially. It, it, yeah. it can be an issue as a tree gets older especially. You have to prune to get more open habit. You probably do need to spray, and it's a bloom time spray. So apricots can be more of a challenge than some of the On my scale, they're down there above apples, but... Not as not as easy to grow by any means as plums, but if you want that, you know that that flavor grenade plew out with your peacock would be mm-hmm. a great combination to uh, tie up another mm-hmm. loose end. My yes, favorite, them. my favorite miniature peach is the Garden Gold. Yes, miniature peach, good which quality. Yeah, it's yeah. Uh, it's about four and a half feet tall mm-hmm. by about an equal spread. That's over several years. It looks like cousin it from the Adams family. <laughs> yeah, these are the miniature peaches. Yeah, they used to be called genetic dwarf. Mm-hmm. They took the name genetic out because of the whole yeah. you know, consumer preference issue. They grow six inches a year, and they make a shrub. Yeah. But the fruit is full size, and the newer every newer one is better than the last. So there's a bunch of new varieties on that. And then what was the question Flowering about? Flowering peach. Yeah, there's three that I can think of. The uh, the red baron has a spectacular red pink. I mean, almost mm-hmm. red blossom. Blooms over about four weeks. 
and sets over that whole period. So unlike most fruiting peaches, you actually can pick them for a couple of weeks. It's a very good quality peach, though it does soften quickly. So you need to use it right away. But Red Baron is outstanding, and it happens to be a low-chill peach. It's only 250 hours, but it does well here in the valley and is a very good performance. I think it's one of the prettiest fruit trees you can put in your yard. And how does it taste? It's very good flavor. It's a really, it's a highly rated one, but it is a soft fruited one. So I want people to know that. I use them a lot for smoothies. Uh, Saturn, another popular one in Southern California, is also a very, very pretty one. Those of us up here who can grow the Alberta peaches, the mm-hmm. peaches anyone 55 or older grew up on were Alberta peaches, Luther Burbank's introduction, I believe from years and years and years ago. There's a variant, a sport that occurred called Fantastic Alberta, which is spectacular and has that really high quality Alberta fruit. And if you're a nectarine fan, just get yourself a double delight. It's one of the best nectarines on the market and has really pretty flowers. Both of those are Dave Wilson varieties. Now, if you just want a flowering peach and don't care about the the fruit, if you just want it for the flowers, the peppermint flowering peach is a good choice. Yeah, striped flowers. There's one of those in Davis right near an elementary school. When it's in bloom every year, several people come in and ask me what it is. Yeah. It doesn't have fruit that you can eat particularly, right. but it's but spectacular it's for All the right. bloom. Yep. One more question before Don has to go open up a store. Phil and Moraga, how are you? Hey, Phil. Well, I'm great, Fred. Excuse me. Little frog. Um, pleasure to hear you. I haven't talked to you for a while. Real quick question. I'm going to throw it at you. we got some blackberries. They're about six or eight foot long. They're just scraggly. And we've got some new ones that are um, like bare root. Mm-hmm. What should I do with the big scragglers? When can I plant the bare root, soil need, and fertilization? That's the bare root now. This is a good time to find berries, cane berries, in any local garden center that stocks that kind of stuff. And get them in the ground while the soil is workable now. If, if you've got new ones, you might want to go ahead and cut back those older ones. And, to the ground. Yeah, to yeah. the ground. You're going to sacrifice a crop, but you might in, in rejuvenate them, feed them in the spring. Hard to imagine feeding berries, so you might want to look at why they're scraggly. Too much shade or not yeah. enough water. That would be the like one that. thing I'd, I'd add yeah. for blackberries. Try yeah. to give them as much sun More as possible. More sun for vigor and Especially flavor. in Moraga. Yeah. Well, no, no. These are actually conquered, and they haven't been pruned for years. <laughs> okay. okay. Prune out the old stuff. Leave the new shoots if you can, because those are what fruit. May, they may just need rejuvenation pruning. You might just want to get in there and prune out as much of that old stuff as you can. Make sure the water gets on them. They're not drought tolerant, particularly. They can survive drought, but they do better with water, and they're better in full sun. Okay. Okay, and the fruits? What? Fertilizer. What do you want me to oh, use? It's the ferts. Oh, the fertilizer. Uh, they're not fussy. Any kind of all-purpose yeah. any, any all fertilizer, some nitrogen sometime in the spring is all they need. I still like fish emulsion. That works. Yeah. That works. Yep. There my, you go. My cat yeah. likes it, too. <laughs> all okay. right. Thanks for calling. Thanks, Phil. Thanks, guys. Have a great weekend. You, too. you too. All right. And, uh, Don, I think you got a store to go open. I'm going to run over and open the store and sell some fruit trees. All right. What store is that? That would be the Redwood Barn Nursery on 5th Street in downtown Davis. Like 1607 5th Street? That's the one. Next to the cable TV company? Next to uh, Davis Tire Store oh, and Davis, Davis Media Access. Uh, Davis Media Access. That's where the, the, the radio station okay. broadcasts. All right. And, All right. And maybe update the website, too. There you go. <laughs> Thanks. It's good to see you, Fred. Redwoodbarn.com is the website. Don Shore, Redwood Barn Nursery. Thanks for dropping in, Don. Okay. Appreciate it. All right. When we come back, we're talking to Diane Blazek out at the All-America Selections Winners with a list of winners that make for great pollinator plants, attract the pollinators. So we'll be talking about that when we come back to get growing on Talk 650 KSTE. iHeart Radio. You're listening to Get Growing with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. 
Everybody's looking for plants that do double duty. Maybe not just looking nice or tasting nice, but maybe attract pollinators to the garden or maybe coming into the house as a cut flower, something that'll last for a long time. There is one group that trials plants every year looking for winners which with such qualifications. It's the All-America Selections winners. And it's a, a great group. They've been doing this for 60, 70 years or so. And Diane Blazak is the executive director for the All-America Selections. And Diane, it's 2018. It's time to find out about the new winners for uh, annuals and maybe some perennials that might be for good cut flowers or that would attract pollinators. And we'd be very happy to talk about those. That's something that we always ask our judges about is, you know, how was it as far as pollinators? Did you have the hummingbirds or the bees flocking to it? And then uh, we always want to know about cut flowers, too, because there's such a trend right now of people growing their own, like for their weddings or, you know, like you say, just bringing them indoors as cut flowers. So, yes. Um, how about if we start talking about zinnias? Because that seems to be just huge and we have a new one that just came out that i don't know i feel like make your prediction thing it might be our best zinnia ever but it's called queenie lime orange and so i'm going to try to use really good descriptive words so if you think of a good um, almost double flowered zinnia the bottom flowers as it opens are like a deep salmon and as they go up it's it's like shades of salmon and orange and golden yellow and then yellow. And then the center of it is almost a bright red orange. So it's called Queenie Lime Orange. It'll get about 24 inches tall. It would be perfect for cup flowers. And of course, uh, the pollinators love zinnias also. It really then, does resemble a dahlia. It does. Yeah, that's how big it is. So it's and it's just amazing when I I saw it and I took some garden riders out to trials to see it. Nobody could get away from it. They just they were taking pictures. And at that point, I didn't even know if it was going to be an AS winner. So they're all thrilled now that it is a an AS winner. What is the diameter of the flower itself? Uh, it's about two to three inches. You know, it's going to kind of depend on your climate um, and, you know, what the temperatures are, but it can get quite large. The ones I saw in California were about three inches across. Wow. All right. Again, that's the Queenie Lime Orange Zinnia, one of the 2018 AAS winners that'll be available at uh, at a seed rack near you or in all sorts of seed catalogs. And that's uh, one of the beauties of the All-America Selections winner. At your website, you can direct people to where they can find these seeds. Absolutely. There's just a little button there under AAS Winners that says buy AAS Winners. And we have a whole list of mail order companies that offer our winners for sale. And that website is AASWinners.com for more information. All right. So the Zinnia, that uh, Queenie Lime Orange Zinnia, good for cut flowers. How about one that attracts pollinators? Let's talk about the Canna. And we have two of them. One is South Pacific Orange and one is South Pacific Scarlet. So what's cool with AAS is quite often a breeder will enter one color and then as they work towards um, different shades or different colors, they'll enter that one also. And here's what really um, surprised me is how easy cannas are to grow from seed. A lot of people are going to think that they have to uh, plant like the tubers or rhizomes or something. When you plant a canna from seed, you're going to have a lot fewer disease issues because it's a seed. They are large seeds, and believe it or not, you get close to 100% germination. 
So these two, I highly recommend for people who are looking, especially for like a tropical looking garden and the whole pollinator thing goes along with it. And here in California, Kana's are pretty much a perennial. Oh, excellent. So you won't have to start them every year, but if you want to, it's going to be easy. (laughs) (laughs) So what are they? What are the winners? Uh, South Pacific Orange is one, and that's a 2018. And then South Pacific Scarlet is a little bit older. I think it's like four years old, but it is still very readily available. And the two of them together would look amazing. South Pacific Orange and South Pacific Scarlet, Kana Lilies. And, uh, yeah. it, you know, what's nice, too, about Kana Lilies is they are perfect if you use them in a large container. Oh, they do great in containers. Absolutely. Now, I noticed in the 2018 winners that there is a gypsophila, the gypsy white. It looks beautiful. It is. I love it because of how many flowers it has on and kind of a semi-double. So this one, um, yes, good for pollinators, great for containers, a little bit less so. You know, gypsophila is very commonly the baby's breath that you use in cut flower arrangements. This one is not that tall. So this is the one you put in containers or you put it like as a nice border outside. It's definitely going to attract the the, the bees and the butterflies. Uh, just wouldn't they recommend it for a cup flower because of its height. Now, I would think that the Kupfia might attract its share of uh, hummingbirds and you have a 2018 winner. We do. Now, this one is cool. This one is a vegetatively propagated variety. So that means you're not going to be able to find the seed available, but you will be able to buy it as plants, both online. We have some people selling it um, as well as your local garden center. So the other name for this is called Mexican Heather. This one is called Flory Glory Diana, which I had nothing to do with the name of the variety, but I kind of tend to like that name. But it does come in three different colors. Uh, the color, the kind of a uh, burgundy pink is the AAS winner, but it also comes in white and a lighter pink or a like light lavender. So, yeah, Flory Glory Diana, great for pollinators. Another one that's good for containers. We've been talking about that. Right. Yes, exactly. They have that nice compact size that that do quite well in containers. And depending on where you live, it might even be able to take full sun. Sort of like the Marigold Superhero Spry. That's one of your 2018 winners. Oh, absolutely. That's that's another one. Uh, Great for containers, great for outdoors, great for pollinators. And the colorations of it is so vivid that it's going to be one of those like showstoppers or people walking by on the sidewalk will be like, wow, what is that? It's a French marigold. So it has the bicolored darker red on the bottom and bright yellow gold in the middle. Over the years of all the AAS winners, which are the ones you're, you're getting the best feedback about that are attracting the pollinators? Uh, definitely the echinacea. Echinaceas are, are kind of trendy, I think I can say. And we have two and they are perennials. Uh, we trialed them as first year flowering annuals. They did exceptionally well as first year flowering annuals, but then they come back every year. I, these things have just been doing an amazing job in my garden. Um, I love it. You plant them and you don't have to worry about them for a couple of years because they're just going to keep growing. And the, the, Birds, well, first of all, the bees. So the bees will just love them. The butterflies love them. And then as the seed heads start to dry in the fall, then you've got all the birds who come by and eat the seeds. So the two that we have are Echinacea Cheyenne Spirit and Echinacea Powwow Wild Berry. 
Good echinaceas for the garden. We've been talking with Diane Blazak, Executive Director of the All-America Selections for the National Garden Bureau. For more information about all the All-America Selections winners over the years. And Diane, what is there, about 60 years worth of winners? Actually, there's 84 years oh. of winners. And it's like we have 800, more than 800 varieties. That aren't, they're not all still on the market, but it's a lot to choose from. All right. The AASWinners.com is the website. Diane Blazek, thanks for a few minutes of your time. Thank you. Wondering about what's happening on this program in the next 15 minutes? I am. I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to mention upcoming garden events that are going on not only today, but for the coming week. We will get into that. We'll delve into the email you've been sending to Fred at FarmerFred.com. Got a garden question? Hey, let's tackle it. 576-1578 or 866-331-8255. Sure, email in those questions as well to fred at farmerfred.com. By the way, coming up at 12.05, it's the KSTE Farm Hour, one of my favorite programs. And on uh, the KSTE Farm Hour this coming week, uh, actually in just a few minutes, uh, we're going to be talking about how farmers have taken a stand against two of Jerry Brown's pet projects, the Bullet Train and the Delta Tunnels Project, a couple of more roadblocks thrown in front of those projects. And we talk about some of the uh, agricultural damage in Southern California due to those mudslides in Ventura and Santa Barbara. There were some greenhouses in the way. Also, a quarantine area new for the San Mateo area and the San Diego area. Some new pests and, and some old pests as well. And we talk about what Sacramento County Ag Commissioner Julie Jensen says is uh, Sacramento's very good efforts at controlling infestations of new pests into the Sacramento area. And uh, we'll hear about that. Also, bees. We're going to talk about feeding your bees this time of year as you wait for your almond trees to blossom on the farm and how some uh, little extra food can help invigorate them to do an even better job. So we'll talk about that with a bee expert. Plenty of all the ag news coming up on the KSTE Farm Hour between noon and 1 o'clock today right here on Talk 650 KSTE. Also available as a podcast at KSTE.com, the iHeartRadio app, or your favorite third-party podcast aggregator where it is streaming right now if you want it. We'll take a short break. Upcoming garden events on the way here on Get Growing on Talk 650 KSTE. Have you noticed... Get Growing continues with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. All right, let's go to the phones, answer some gardening questions, and we'll talk about upcoming garden events. Susan in Woodland, how you doing? Hi, I haven't called you for a while. Well, um, I hope you've been good. I Well, I have had some major surgeries. Haven't we all, and we're still here to talk about it. And feeling good. All right, good for you. I, um... I had a question. I'm trying to make a package to donate to a person who has a large chunk of property and is doing a lot with rescue dogs. Mm, okay. So it's all going to be sun and poor care and all. <laughs> all right. Sure. Okay. So you want an easy care plant? Well, I'm looking for some trees and some bushes. Uh, most of the ones I'm considering about five feet tall, but they have a color thing to them at one time of the year or not. My question is particularly about the burning bush. 
Okay, that for those that don't know, that is an Ionimus, an Ionimus alatus is the uh, uh, genus and species of that. Right. But they're evergreen, right? Yeah, they, they are evergreen, and uh, they do have, uh, well, I, I shouldn't say they're, it depends on the climate whether they're evergreen or not. Now, in our climate, they may tend to be a bit evergreen, and uh, generally speaking, uh, in colder climates, they are more deciduous, so it really depends on well, what you want. Well, this would be in the valley, Sacramento Valley. All right. In that case... It's in Woodland, West Woodland. All right. In that case, then, I would... For best color, you really do want something that is deciduous because you're going to get that scarlet red fall coloring as the leaves turn red and then fall off. So the, the deciduous ones are the ones you want, like what Monrovia sells. They have a dwarf burning bush called the Eonimus alatus compactus, which is deciduous. It needs full sun and doesn't get that big, six to eight feet tall with an eight to ten foot spread. That's a good size. Okay. Now, um, the question okay. is, will it do well in woodland? That's a good question. Uh, you don't see them very often here because they tend to sort of uh, sulk in our hot, dry climate. But you can give it a try. Okay. Um, yeah, I don't think I see them around. Yeah, exactly. But that's maybe a, that's a clue. Mistaken <laughs> them for barberries. Oh, that could be, and that would be a good choice too if you're looking for some red fall color. I mean, barberry is an interesting plant in that it is evergreen, but the leaves do change color. But my barberry are not evergreen. Oh, they, oh, they don't. Okay, then uh, that's. I have two different ones, and the one is pretty much the red leaf, I think. Mm-hmm. I've had it for years, and I love it because of the color the rest of the year. Yeah. But it does lose its leaves. Okay, well, is it drop leaves? Does it always have some leaves on it, though? Oh, no. Really? Right now, okay. it's bare. All right, okay, because there are some that, that will be evergreen. Oh, well, maybe I should check that out. Well... Do you... Um, actually, you know, I've seen the burning bush... The, that Eonimus elatus uh, doing quite well up at Amador Flower Farm, and they have it on a hillside that has good drainage. Oh, see, this might not have good drainage. Uh, it's in the country, and we're developing the landscape there. Mm-hmm. So I know when it's first planted and has a big hole that we put improved soil in, that's good. But uh, I don't know how long uh, these things are not going to be in a close, close area, except for some trees that she could use shade from. So, anyway, oh. I'm not sure with the watering hmm. Okay. So I'm well, trying that's something to, to consider. Find, yes, I'm trying to find. What about a silk tree? <sighs> Uh, I don't would, have to worry about the mess. Okay, so th- let, let's maybe change it a little bit to easy-to-care-for plants Okay, that uh, would do well in that situation. And you're looking for an evergreen situation, right? Uh, hopefully. Okay, so but are you looking for something with fall color? Are you looking for something that is a privacy screen? Any color during the year. Uh Trees that provide 
shade. Okay, so you want trees. All right. And Well, um, yes. I want at least three or four trees. Okay. I'm going to think about this one. Because for that situation, and in woodland, too, you've got the issue of boron in the water, too. Exactly. And so, I mean, my first uh, impulse would be... Clay soil. Yeah. And all that. I mean, there are certainly some good uh, selections. I'm thinking of, of like, red buds would be a good choice. Western red buds. considering that. All right. Western red buds. I would consider... I I love the toyon. That's a low-water-use plant. It has flowers in the spring, berries in the wintertime. Are the berries poisonous? No, birds love them. Okay, just have to think of that because of dogs. Yeah, uh, I've never heard of a dog uh, eating one, but that anything's possible <laughs> among certain dogs. Yeah. yeah, no, they're not loose, but I'm just saying. I've... Okay, but th- those are two right there that's going to give you uh, interest uh, year-round. Call to the, I mean, I can look this up, the toy on Mm-hmm. Heteromeles arbutifolia, if you like Latin. Okay. But it, it's a, it's also known as the Christmas berry. And it's one of my favorite California native plants because it is low water use, uh, attracts uh, the birds, and has interest year-round, really. It's one of my favorites. Okay. All right. And i got to get going here. Well, thanks. All right. Good well, talking to you All again. right, Susan. Thanks for calling. Appreciate it. Bye-bye. All right. And I wanted, before we ran out of time here, to uh, mention some upcoming garden events. We talked earlier about the Scion Exchange happening at the uh, La Sierra Community Center at 5325 Engel Road in Carmichael. That's going on right now until 2 o'clock, put on by the California Rare Fruit Growers. Also going on today, over in Davis, at the Mary Stevens Library at 315 East 14th Street, the Master Gardeners of Yolo County are answering your gardening questions between 2 and 4 o'clock. Also doing a couple of presentations on planting bare root trees and vines, as well as selecting and starting seeds for spring. And, of course, you can bring along your garden questions to that. On Thursday, the Sacramento Perennial Plant Club has a great meeting about uh, finding out more about the garden good guys. Entomologist Nita Davidson with the Department of Pesticide Regulation will be talking about natural enemies in the garden beyond the familiar ladybug and praying mantises. And uh, she's going to be talking about all sorts of uh, garden good guys that you need to be able to recognize so you don't accidentally kill them thinking they're bad guys. So, pictures and slides there at the Sacramento Perennial Plant Club at the Shepherd Garden and Art Center, 3330 McKinley Boulevard in Sacramento. It's this Thursday evening at 7 p.m. And it is free. Master Food Preserver is also in action as well uh, in El Dorado County. The Master Gardeners there next Saturday have a class on pressure canning from 9 to noon at 311 Fair Lane in Placerville. That's the Bethel Delfino Agricultural Building. And then the following Saturday on 27th, kind of interesting for people who like to grow beer, hops. Uh, if you've grown hops and you're wondering what to do, you can make a wet hop to beer using fresh hops or dry them for use later. You are going to find in this class how to dehydrate hops. And it is free. It's from 9 to noon, again, in Placerville at 2850 Fairlane Court. That's the Government Center Hearing Room put on by the El Dorado County Master Gardener Saturday, January 27th from 9 to noon. And come to think of it, that pressure canning class that I mentioned, that was yesterday. Never mind. Okay, fine. 
All right, time for me to get on out of here, making room for the news, followed by the KSTE Farm Hour. That's on the way. Don't forget, this show is available as a podcast, and it'll be posted early this afternoon, no doubt. You can find it at streaming live at KSTE.com or the iHeartRadio app, also available for downloading from your favorite third-party podcast aggregator, iTunes, or whoever you may use. And next week on the program, we're talking fruit trees with Phil Purcell from Dave Wilson Nursery. And uh, we're going to find out a lot about the new introductions for 2018 in the world of fruit trees. That's on next week's Get Growing. Thank you for listening. I appreciate your support. Without you, there would be no garden shows. So thanks for listening all these 26 years. Have a great weekend, folks. Bye-bye. Can there be a better way to 